good morning, church. Man, it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here. Um, what that means is that I have the opportunity and the privilege most weeks to, and to come up here and we're going to open the Bible. We're going to read a little bit together and then see if we can determine then how what we read can apply to our lives as we walk out of these doors and try to live out this, this journey of faith that, that so many of us are on. And if you're not yet on that journey of faith and you're just here kind of kicking the tires on the whole church thing and this whole Jesus thing, man, we're really, really, really glad that you're here. And we believe that this is a safe place to be able to, to investigate and try to figure some of that stuff out. So we're really, really glad that you took the time to come and to hang out with us. Uh, if this is your first time hanging out with us, we want to say a special Welcome to you. We know that Sunday mornings is a, is a great time to do a lot of other things if you're, if you're not a church-going type. And so the fact that you chose to come and, and spend that time with us here at Fusion City, it, it means a lot to us. We're really, really glad that you decided to spend that time with us. So much, in fact, that we'd like to give you a gift. Just our way of saying thanks for, for hanging out. Thanks for spending some time with us. And, and so how you get that gift is if you'll take a few minutes during your time with us this morning and fill out the bottom portion of that program you got when you came in. We call that a connection card. If you'll take that to the hub, uh, just by the doors as you came in, we have a gift there for you. Like Again, just our way of saying, man, thanks for hanging out. We're really, really glad that you decided to do that and that you're here. Uh, so if you, uh, if you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, um, then, then what you've kind of not missed out on anything so much, but what we've been doing for the last several weeks is walking through one of the books of the Bible um, by the name of James. It was written by James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, and after uh, a long or a lifetime spent of not believing that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, Jesus dies on the cross uh, James would have been witness to that and known that. Uh, Jesus comes back to life three days after that, goes back and appears to uh, quite a few number of people, one of those of which was James. And here's what we've said for the last several weeks, that when your brother dies and he comes back to life and comes and like hangs out and does dinner or something like that with you and the family, you believe then that he is the son of God. And that all that stuff about being from heaven and being the son of God, like that's legit. Like he wasn't kidding about that stuff. How do we know it's true? Oh, because he came back from the dead. The day that you die, come back to life three days later, you get to claim to be the son of God or child of God also, and we will believe it because that's kind of a really determining factor as to how that happens. All right, so... Um, Again, in this series through the book of James, we've looked at a lot of different stuff. If you haven't been with us, I'd really encourage you to go and check out the podcast. Uh, we, we've been having a good time and learning some cool stuff. And so here's what I want to do to kind of set up or get us kicked off for our time together here this morning. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands uh, because I do believe that some of our patrons of Fusion City Church are armed. Um, and therefore dangerous, or maybe dangerous. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a Trump supporter or if you're a Hillary supporter. All right, we're not doing that, but here's the point I want to make. All right, here, here's the point that's going to serve as the kickoff or, or origination for our time together today. If you are a Trump supporter, again, no hands. If you are a Trump supporter, you cannot also be a Hillary supporter. You can't do it. It's impossible. Likewise, if you are a Hillary supporter, no hands, all right? If you're a Hillary supporter, you cannot, in fact, be a Trump 
supporter. Those two things are vastly different on two very different ends of a now very public and very, very publicized spectrum that we're all getting to watch kind of this intense political season unfold. And you've got people and it's some of y'all because I read your Facebook posts and y'all are all about like, you know, death to Trump, you know, and that's, that's your prerogative. And then there's others of you that's like, you know, Hillary's whatever, and she needs to go to wherever, and like, I like this, so like, there's like the very polarized opposites of what it means to be a Trump supporter and what it means to be a Hillary supporter. Now, now here's, the, here's why I, I set that up, because there are some things in life, and we all know where several of them are, where two things cannot be congruent. Like the, the one is over here, and the other is over here. They, they have no connection whatsoever. They're very distant, very separate. And so James today is going to warn us about one of these things that must remain separated, that you can't be both at the same time. You have to be one or the other. And here's, here's the point that James is trying to make, that as believers in Jesus, we are called to a life where we are to be on mission, that there should be something about us as followers of Christ that separates us from the rest of the world so that living on mission, we then could be an example of what they should desire in us as, as we grow closer to Jesus and that changes us for the better, that the world should look at that and be like, dang, I kind of like that. I kind of want some of that. I want to go be like that person. Here's the problem. Far too often in our efforts, either intentionally to minister to people who are not yet believers or inadvertently, we don't mean to do it, it just kind of happens. We, we get so close to the world that the things of the world and the things of non believers begin to penetrate, saturate our lives so that we don't look very different, we don't act very different, we don't talk very different, we don't think very different from those who are far from God. And so here's, here's the point that I want to make today. Here's how I want to set up our time together. Here's the big idea. If you want to write it down, if you're taking notes there on your program or in the, the Be the Kingdom books, you can write this down. Why would they want to be us if we are them? Why would they want to be us if we are them? So what James is going to address for us today is how we become very much like them. Now, I want to be really careful at the onset here. We love people who don't believe in Jesus. Right? We, like if it's, I used the terms in my, my point there, us and them. This is not a battle. It is not us versus them. I don't, want, I don't want anybody to hear that or to think that. The mission of the church is to live in such a way that those who are far from God through the example that we set as we follow our example of Christ would desire what it is that is in our lives and how we carry ourselves and how we don't get bummed out when bad stuff happens and all these other reasons that they should look at us and be like, I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling what, what's going on over there. Like I'd like to know what it is that makes that person be able to interact and react in the ways that they do and then if they are to have a conversation with you be like yeah it's all about this Jesus thing that is in my life and it's real and it's changing me and because of all of that this is why and they're like oh this Jesus thing sounds pretty cool like that's the mission that's the purpose of the church Jesus said as one of his his parting words to the disciples was to to go into all the nation teaching them everything that I have commanded you 
and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and be on mission for the gospel. Go and tell the good news of how radically a life can be changed by the gospel. But somewhere along the way, I, I'm, I'm going to wager, I'm going to throw all my chips in and say that, that it's all of us in the room. Now, I don't know that to be true. Maybe, you know, you just get up in the morning, you do your quiet time, kind of float around the room, you know, talking to Jesus. And then, you know, like, and then you go to work and it's like, look at how, like this, the Shekinah glory of God all around you. And people are like, you walk in like, oh, angels. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's true for you. Let me tell you what's true for me. I'll, I'll just speak for me and I'll assume that there's like seven or eight of y'all that are like me. And I'll just talk to that crowd this morning. There's a lot of stuff in the world that's not of God that that's, seems kind of cool to me. It's fun. It's appealing. I kind of like it. Like, I, I look at it, I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and even in my efforts to live a life that is connected to God through Jesus, his son, I get distracted and I get pulled away from the things of God and, and further into these, these things of the world, and it, it kind of feels good. And so then I find myself torn between this stuff that I can see and I can touch and I can live in and I can go make a lot of money doing or I can go have a lot of fun doing. And then there are these things of God. And as a believer, I know that there's stuff over here that's, that's better for me. And I believe that it's better for me because it was directed by God who I believe to love me and want good for my life. And so I find myself kind of in this tug of war between the things of the world and the things of God. And I'm stuck right in the middle. Because I love God and I love Jesus and I want to be as, as good as I can for him. I want to do the things that he's asked me to do for him because he gave his son to cover my sins so that I could have hope and a future and a purpose. Man, this stuff over here is kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of fun and I kind of like it over there. And, and we get caught. I, I get caught sometimes between the things of the world and the things of God. Here's what James says. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to James chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. James says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, just so we can figure out uh, who James was talking to, anybody besides me not live in complete peace this last year? Um, had some had some conflicts. Okay, good, just me. All right, awesome. Um, this will just be confession time. Then I guess this morning, I had some I had some conflict. I had some quarrels and some fights um, in the last twelve months. Apparently, just me. Y'all are holy and awesome. It's great. Uh, apparently, we're doing a better job preaching than we are living because y'all are perfect. All right, uh, for, uh, verse one. He says, "Is it not this it, it, the reason for the quarrels and the fights that that I go through?" Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it 
on your passions. Now, now we said this in week one. It's, it's important for us to remember as we read the book of James that James is writing to believers. James isn't writing to the world. James isn't writing to those who are far from God. James isn't writing to those people who don't have a relationship with Jesus and saying, hey, here's what's wrong with you is that there's something going on inside of you that causes quarrels and fights and that's why you can't get any satisfaction. There was a song. Anyway, so ADD, just hang with me. But James is writing to believers. James is writing to believers. And he said, there's a reason that there's this tension in you between the things of the world and the things of God. There's something pulling at you and here's where it stems from. Here's the problem. Here's what you've got to nail down. Here's what you have to get right. It all has to do with your passions. And then, and then he, so let me define passions for us. The, the Greek word uh, for passions here is the word um, hedone in the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I was able to look that one up. It's hedone. It's where we get the, the English word hedonism. Hedonism is this idea where the, the, the pleasures of mankind are our chief end. That the only, like, wake up every single morning and the whole purpose of your life is, is to get as much pleasure despite any consequences or any cost. It is, it is a, a mentality completely devoid of any kind of morality or conscience. James says There's, that it's your passions it's, the, it's the, the beat of your heart that desires nothing but what's good for you at the cost of everyone else. That, that, that is what is at war within you. This war is internal. It is the war between what is from God and our passions, the things of the world that we desire because they, they give us pleasure or joy. Now, again, not everything in the world is evil. I'm not saying that. All right, so let's not go. We're not going to go build a compound and everybody, you know, like live together. It's not happening yet. We're, we're, it's in the planning stages. But um, so not yet. We'll announcements to come later. But I'm not saying everything of the world is, is completely inherently evil. What James is saying is there should be a separation between those of us who are called to live for God and those who aren't. There's, there should be a difference. There should be a separation, like between Trump supporters and Hillary supporters. There should be a difference in thought process, in principle, and in direction. Uh, Peter said it this way in, in his book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions, there's that word again, the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Be careful how much attention and how much influence you give to your passions. Because they're at war. And what are they at war with? They're they're at war with your soul. It, It ends badly for us when we give ourselves over to our passions. So there, there are two things that I believe, two ways in which we can grow, especially as it pertains to our life as believers. And I want to give you those again. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write these down. So there are two ways that I believe we as believers or, or even just we, we as individuals can grow. Here's number one. Number one, we can grow in gladness and gratitude. Let me tell you how this works. 
So as a believer, I realized that every good and perfect gift comes from God. We looked at that in James chapter 2, I think it was like around verse 14. That every good and perfect thing comes from God. And so as a believer, when I realize, when I have an awareness, when my antenna are, are, are tuned into the things of God, and I realize that God is doing good things, and when good things happen in my life, I give God the credit, and I recognize that he's a good God who loves me and who gives good gifts. And in this goodness of God, I become glad, and in my gladness, I become grateful and in my in my great my, my gratitude I begin to become more aware and more spiritually attuned to the things of God so in my gratitude my awareness goes up and when my awareness goes up you know what goes up my gladness goes up right and so then my, my gladness goes up and I get more glad about God and then I'm, I'm more glad in God and the more glad on God I get the more gratitude I have and the more gratitude I have the more awareness I get and the more awareness I get the more glad I get and then there's a cycle of of gratitude and gladness that results in like this bonfire of praise where I just wake up every morning excited to put my feet on the ground because today is another day that I get to live and enjoy the fullness and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God who loves me. That's one way we can grow. Then there's this other way. And I told you guys a little bit of of, of my story uh, a couple of weeks ago about how I felt entitled to some things. So Jesus, I've given my life to you. Bring on the blessings. Where, where are they at? Where's, where's the goodness, Jesus? Like my whole, gee, I am your, hand, not, not one hand up in, in, in singing, both hands up in singing. Worship Jesus, love you. Where are they at? I love you, Jesus. Let's see it. And in our entitlement, when we begin to expect these things that we now deserve from Jesus, and then we look on at other friends that we know or family members that we know, and all the blessings and the the good things that we believe as followers of Christ that we're entitled to, I'm not getting them, but they are. And, and then in my entitlement, here's what continues to grow. It's another cycle that gets started, and it's contempt. In my entitlement, I expect, and when my expectations aren't met, I, I, I start off by growing in contempt to the individual. But it's, it's, it's only a short season and a short few turns around the cycle of entitlement and contempt. Where, where it may start off as jealousy and it may start off as, as bitterness towards the individual, eventually in this cycle of entitlement, my attempt is going to turn from the individual to God. Because I gave my life to you, God, and I expected you to show up. I expected somebody or something to be healed. And I expected some kind of financial windfall. There was something, I was supposed to get something for this, wasn't I? And as our contempt grows, we begin to notice the, the, the good things that everybody else is getting. And as our contempt grows, our entitlement goes up. Because if they get that and I'm better than them, then I should be getting that. And as my entitlement grows, my contempt grows. And as my contempt grows, my entitlement gets higher. And it's the same cycle, only in the opposite direction. 
So James says this in verse 4. Realizing that that's the possibility that exists. He says this. He says, you adulterous people. I love James, man. He just don't pull any punches. (laughs) You adulterers. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Here's what James is saying. As we look at the things that the world has to offer and we desire those and we believe that those were supposed to be ours, when there's a sense of entitlement, when there's a sense of expectation that all this we'll call good, relative good stuff happens in the world, like I'm supposed to be getting that stuff and that stuff's not happening. Like, what's the whole point of following Jesus if good stuff's not going to happen? Good according to the world standards, by the way. Here's what James is saying. You can't think like that and love God. Those two things are inconsistent. You can't be a friend of the things of the world and a friend of God. Now, and so he calls us adulterous people. I love, I love that. Here's what adulterous means. Promise breaker. It's the context of the word. And, and that, I mean, when... When we talk about adultery as it pertains to marriage, we made a promise as spouses to be faithful. And when that, that promise gets broken, we become what? We become adulterers. And so, so here's what God is saying. Or here's what James is saying. You made a promise to God to be faithful, to be about his ways, to be about his things, to, to, to follow after, to seek after, to pursue him. And you broke your promise. And you said, enough with you, God. I want what the world has to offer. I would rather have that than you. Now, we don't, we don't think about it in those terms. We don't actively choose the world over God. But, but here's what James is saying. You can't, have, you can't have it both ways. It's not two sides of the same coin. It's two very different things. So he calls us adulterous people. And then he uses, he uses this term, friend. You can't be a friend of God and friends with the world. I see, I don't mean it as much to us today as it would have then because we understand friendship according to social media. Like our perspective, our, our idea of friendship has radically changed. Now, I didn't grow up in, in, in the decades prior to the 70s and 80s. But as I look around homes that were built around that time period, here's what I notice: Front porches. Uh, I remember, um, I talked about my grandparents last week. I remember going to their house and how they knew every single one of their neighbors and they would walk the streets and it was like this, this idea of, of community meant something. Like neighbor meant actual person that lived next door. When Jesus talks about love your neighbor, like my grandparents and, and probably a lot of you and some of your grandparents and, and the generations before them, they knew their neighbors. They knew them. Now look at how our homes are constructed. Right? We got eight-foot privacy fences and back porches. You can live in your neighborhood for a decade and never meet your neighbor. And then our idea of friend is as it pertains to kind of this the voyeuristic social media thing where I can have a relationship with somebody without them knowing. It's just creepy. Like, oh, look, look, look who they're dating. Oh, it's that girl. Look at her. Like, oh, well, oh I, wonder, I wonder where she went to college. And I can go and find where she went. Like, I can figure out everything. Oh, look what he's having for dinner because everybody puts their flipping pictures of dinner on the bed. Like, like I, you, can, you, can have, you can know everything about a person and not know them. Like, you, hey, this is my good friend, Bill. Oh, where is he from? I, I don't know, Bill, where are you from? Like, I mean, we don't, we don't know. We don't, there's no real 
connection. It's just this, this weird, creepy Facebook stalker. By the way, when you like a picture from somebody's page that's like three years old, it freaks them, it freaks me out. Like, who just liked my picture from 2006? Like, I, what? Like, anyway, just personal beef. Uh, don't do it, it's really creepy. Um, but that's, that's our idea of a friend now, is this, this thing that we've gotten from social media. But in Jesus' day, in James's day, friendship was a commodity. It meant something because it, there was an exclusivity to it. And people all the time, um, I love to, to point this out when they talk about um, some relationships inside the church and how it's not fair for some groups to hang out with other groups. And that's another message for another day that we'll preach at some point, but not today. But here's what you got to know about Jesus' relationship. Jesus' relationships were exclusive. There were, there were about 40 to 50, 70 something people that followed him around everywhere that he preached. Five or 600 people would show up when he preached. But then we all know he had how many disciples he had. 12, okay, six of you knew, awesome, good, we're still growing together. So there were 12 disciples, but even inside of the 12 disciples, Jesus had three men that he hung out with. Three, they were his closest confidants. There was Peter, James, not this James, and John. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle. He had a little huddle. I just kind of, I kind of get this picture in my head. I've told this joke before, it's pretty funny. I like it, I'm gonna tell it again. It, this is a joke, get ready to laugh. You're gonna love it, it's awesome. Jesus gets ready to go do something cool. And he's like, hey, Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me. And then Bartholomew looks over at Thomas and he says, man, you think we'll ever go to get to go do anything cool with Jesus? Thomas says, man, I doubt it. So if you didn't get that, ask somebody next to you. They'll help you out. Um, <laughs> that was not in my notes. All right, so... Let's, uh, just, it, friendships in Jesus' day were, were a commodity. They, they were worth something. They were valuable. And, and here's, what, here's what James is arguing. You can't go deep. You, you can't be intimate. You can't be close to everybody. I'm an extrovert. I love people. I love to be around people. The more people, the better. I'm a, I, I thrive off the energy of, of people. But you can't go deep with everyone. Here's what James is saying. You, you can't go deep with the world. You can't be all about the world and completely invested in the world and, and everything, and be in and a part of and just like everything in the world and be close with God. To be friends of the world is to be at enmity. It means at distance with God. And then he goes on to explain it a little bit. Let's look at verses five and six. He says, or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? And I love verse six. We'll come back to it. But he gives more Grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love this, this phrase. He says, don't you, know, don't you understand? This is why God said that he's, he's jealous for you. 
Because this is the, the, the kind of the mental picture that I get is this God who loves and who is gracious and who is good to his children. And he gives us good things. He put his, his spirit in us. And we're going to talk all about the Holy Spirit in a series in October. It's going to be awesome. Y'all got to come. So, but he, he put the spirit in us that to help us and to guide us and to comfort us. And then in all that God has done in and through and for us, we will look at him and say, you know what? I'd rather do it the world's way. Hey, hey thank, thanks for all the help, God, but, man, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather be in with this crowd over here. I'd rather be like them and, and with them and for them and in spite of, with, for, and about you. And when we choose to use that which God has put in us, the, the good that God has given and the good that is put in us, for, for a purpose other than accomplishing the will of God, the one who is called and commissioned and help us, helps us. It says that God is jealous. He's jealous that something or someone else is getting the glory that he desired to get out of the good things that he put into us. John Piper said it this way. Uh, he said, God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, and gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. So so here's the picture. This picture of of a bride rescued and ransomed out out of poverty and shame only rejecting the gift that has been given to go back to the very thing from which she was saved and removed. That's why God is jealous, like a husband jealous over a faithless and fickle spouse. You know, the Bible says that the church is the the bride of Christ. And here's what's awesome. How does God respond to our jealousy? How does law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so again, word picture, the reason that all all the laws, all the Old Testament stuff, all the stuff in the Old Testament, the reason that it was there was not to teach people how to live well. It was not about keeping the rules. Jesus put, or God put the the law, the rules in place to show us that we could never live up to the law. The purpose of the law was to make us aware of our need for someone to help us do what we cannot do. The law was there to show us our sin so that we would know that according to the law, we're always gonna fail. The purpose of the law was to increase the trespass. Now, if you stop reading that verse right there, things go badly for us. The law was put into place so you would be aware, so that you couldn't claim I didn't know any better. 
It was there to show you your sin, to show you your fault, to show you why you never measure up and why you fail to meet the standard of perfection that God requires for us to be in his presence. Oh, but the second half of the verse is awesome. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Listen, I've said this before. You might want to write, this ain't going to be on the screen, but you might want to write this down. You cannot out the grace of God. You can't do it. You can't sin your way out of the grace of God. You can't sin so much that God will not cover it with his grace. Some of us this morning, I would dare to say a lot of us this morning, need his grace to abound in us because we have, we, we've become friends of the world. And James gets this, and, and I get this. There is a, there's a very real pull and tug away from the things that are unseen and intangible, the things of God. And there's this tremendous pull towards the things that we can see and the, the things that all the movie stars and the, the music stars and the singers, man, they, it looks so good. We look at our friends and what they have and we don't, and it looks so good, and we yearn and we are jealous, and our hearts desire these things. James says, be careful of your passions. Don't, don't go deep with the world, but go deep with him. Be, be intimate with him. Be close to him. Seek him. Pursue him. And I know you can't see it, but it's so worth it. It's so, so worth it. So what do we do? How do we, how do we fix it? Well, James tells us he's going to give us this, this five-step process for returning from our friendship with the world to be, to be ushered into this, this place under the banner of the, the grace that abounds from God's goodness. This is what he says if we go back to James 4, starting in verse 7. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. There's one. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. Love God, but I like the world. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is getting really chipper here. Humble humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Here's what James is saying. Look, I, I get it. I get it. I understand that all that stuff looks so cool couple days before Jesus came back from the dead, James was living there. James was all about that. I've been there. I'm willing to wager that a lot of you have been there. I'd go further and say that a lot of us are are there in some capacity right now where there are things of the world that are pulling our attention away from the things of God. 
So here's what we need to do. Submit ourselves to God, draw near to him, cleanse ourselves in whatever way we can. That's done through something that we call repentance. And and allow our, our minds to take us to a place where we understand what our sin costs God. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about when we get too close to the world, when we get too, too, too deep in, into the things of the world, you can't see it. It's like, it's like being a crazy person. The only person that doesn't know the crazy person is crazy is the crazy person. The only person that doesn't know they are deep in with the world is the person who's deep in with the world because we love to tell ourselves that we're doing better than we are. Don't we? We like to think good of ourselves. Even when I've, I know, especially now looking back on some of the, the days and seasons of my life, know now that I was deep into the world. You couldn't have told me. You couldn't have told me. I wouldn't have believed you. Because I go to church every Sunday, and I love Jesus, and I went to church when I was a kid. I was in the youth group, did the puppets. Like, I, like, I, like I, I'm, I'm a good person. You can't tell me I don't love Jesus. You can't tell me I'm a friend of the world. I'm a friend with God. No. No, I wasn't. She couldn't tell me. And likewise, I probably can't tell you. But I'll tell you who can. And it's the spirit that God has placed in you that leads God's direction and comforts. So here's what, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to ask you to, to indulge me in this. We don't do this a lot. And I try to avoid... Some, some, some unintended symbolism that, that comes from, from everybody coming up front and praying together. But I'm gonna ask you to do that this morning. And here's, here's what I want you to pray when you come. Don't, don't go yet. But when you come, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do some work with God this morning. I, I want you to come up here and I want you to kneel and I want you to pray and I want you to lay hands on the people to your left and to your right. I want you to pray for yourself and I want you to pray for them that in this moment, before we walk out of the doors from this place today, that God would show you where you are too close with the world, where you've gone too deep with them so that they don't have any desire to be us. And I want you to beg God to show you. And then whatever God, I'm, I want you to take it a step further. Whatever God reveals to you in that moment, I want you to share it with somebody else because it's so easy and Satan loves to play this game. Satan would love for us to come this morning, do some work with God, hear from him and know this is something I've got to change. Here's a place that I've gone too far with the world and I'm too far away from God because I'm so close to the world. I'm an enemy with him because I'm friends with him. Like that, that, when that happens, here's what Satan's gonna want you to do, get up and but you know what? Man, you ain't that bad. Don't let that cheesy preacher do with the spiky hair tell you you ain't cool. Don't let him tell you you ain't good. Come on, man. You know you. know you. No, you don't. Crazy can't see crazy. So I want you to come. Let's, let's get busy doing work with God. Right here, right here, front of the stage. It's the only place where we can all meet together. And let's pray for yourself and let's pray for others. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us.
Help us to see what we cannot see. Help us to know that which we do not know. God, reveal to us over the next few moments where we have gotten so far away from you that we look, sound, and think very much like those who don't know you at all. God, I believe this to be a gradual process. It's not a decision that we make, but I know what's been true for my life. As in a Holy Spirit-given moment of clarity, I'm able to view my life like an outsider looking in and see where I've failed. See where I've, I've gone too far and I've loved too much those things that I desire because I can see them and I can put my hands on them and I know that other people have them and God, I've done that at the cost of knowing and seeking after you. So God, I ask that in these moments that there would be a Holy Spirit outpouring of clarity for the minds of every believer that would dare to come and beg of you to reveal to them that which is askew. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear you, and hearts to respond. And then God, give us the boldness and the power to do something about it, to change, to be held accountable, and to become your children as close as you desire for us to be. I pray these things and I ask it all in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.